0: Well, hello, church. It is great to be with you today. As human beings, we tend to get excited about new things. Perhaps you have had the experience of getting a new car, a new house, a new phone, a new purse. Maybe it's a pair of new shoes, new computer, or a new Bible. Remember how excited you were of getting that new thing? I still remember clearly when I bought my first car. I could not stop smiling while driving it because I was overjoyed and super excited. Of course, newness does not only apply to material things. We also get excited about new year, new school, new job, newborn babies, new stage of life. Maybe it is visiting a new country or trying a new restaurant. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I find out there's a new bubble place in town. Newness is something we all enjoy. It is exciting, it gives us new hope, and it brings a smile to our face. While we get excited about most new things, there are exceptions. After all, not all new things are created equal. Sometimes new things require changes on our part and it is not always easy. As creatures of habit, we have a routine that we've developed over the years. Just like how we all have different personalities, different skill sets, different talents and giftings. We also have our own way of thinking and our own way of doing things. Subconsciously, we have created a set of rules of engagement. We have defined boundaries, limits, which becomes uh, our so-called comfort zone. This is how we operate. And most of us like to stay within our comfort zone. So when a new idea is introduced to us, And it is completely different from what we're used to. Instead of being excited about this new idea, our defense mechanism will kick in and put us on high alert. We become cautious. We become scared. We become reserved, uncomfortable, and even defensive when we're being asked to make changes to accommodate this new idea. Yes, there's no doubt that most of us like new things. And yes, we do get excited about new things, but it comes with a condition, as long as I do not have to change. Before entering to full-time ministry, I was in the IT field for quite a few years. And I remember every time there was a new release of Windows operating system, we would hear people grumble, complain, and whine. Uh, there were always people asking, why? Why do we need to change? What is so good about this new release? They will say things like, what we have right now is perfect. What we have right now is working just fine. There's no need to change. And this group of people will hold out for as long as possible. They refuse to move on from what they were used to. It didn't matter if it was from Windows 95 to 98 or to Windows XP, or most recently from Windows 7 to Windows 10. And I know some of you might be thinking, Windows 98? Does that mean 1998? Yep, you got it. It was a long time ago, and people back then were using a software called ICQ to chat and AOL to send email. So if you have used either or both, I'm glad that we can relate. The point is, despite of people's excitement for new things, most people do not like changes. Did you know, God is in the business of making new things? The Bible tells us, God's mercies are new every morning. The Bible also says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Over and over again, we see God telling his people, I am doing new things. Behold, I am making all things new. Sometimes we have this idea that the God that we believe in is an ancient God. Since the Bible was written thousands of years ago, And the Bible says, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, we conclude that our God must be a grumpy old God. Actually, it's just the opposite. Our God is a God of newness. He is always on the move and He is always making new things. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, not only do we need to recognize that God is on the move, but we are called to follow Him. That means when God is on the move, we move with Him, even if that means that we need to make changes and to go outside of our comfort zone. It might be uncomfortable at first, but if we stick with God, the end result will definitely be beyond our imagination. Just like when the Israelites did not want to let go of the glory of the old temple, the Lord says, the future glory will be greater than its past glory. If we want to be a part of God's magnificent plan, we must follow His lead. That means we must put our full trust in Him and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us by renewal of our mind. If we want to experience God's newness, our mindset must first be transformed and renewed. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus had an interesting conversation with some of the disciples of John the Baptist. By this time, John the Baptist was arrested and put in prison. Prison. Prior to Jesus' public ministry, John the Baptist was out there preaching and baptizing people. John's message was very simple: repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At that time, when John was baptizing people in the water, it was simply an expression of a person's willingness to repent and to live the right way. John knew clearly of his role. In relation to Jesus. John knew that he was just a messenger. He knew that he was called to prepare the way for the Lord, just like what the Old Testament prophets have prophesied. And in John's own words, he was telling people, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Given his understanding of his role, When he saw Jesus getting ready to begin his public ministry, John knew that his job was completed. John was ready to turn the stage over to Jesus. So as John was in prison, some of his disciples began to follow Jesus, and others continued to do what they were taught. Because of John's Jewish root, most of his teachings were in line with Judaism, which means disciples of John followed the Jewish laws, They practiced the ceremonial and the religious rituals, according to Jewish tradition. They were pretty much following the same sets of rules as the Pharisees. And one of the things that they were taught was to fast twice a week. Nowadays, most of us have a hard time skipping one single meal. But back then, they were fasting on a regular basis. Now, when the disciples of John saw that Jesus' disciples were not fasting, they got curious. And maybe even a little upset. Because to them, that was a big no-no. All these times they were taught that fasting was necessary. That fasting was good. That it was something godly. It was something that they must do. And suddenly, there was a new teacher in town. And with this new teacher comes new teachings, new ideas, new way of doing things. And as John's disciples were exposed to this idea... They did not know how to respond to it. It was something foreign to them. You see, in their mind, they were thinking, why aren't these followers of Jesus fasting? They were looking in from the outside and perhaps even questioning what they should do themselves. Should they just continue to do what they were used to, which was simply to follow the law and do what they were told? Or could it be possible that Jesus was really onto something, and perhaps they should follow the new teachings of Jesus. One good lesson that we learn here is that when you have questions, the best thing to do is to ask. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, John's disciples came to Jesus, and they asked Jesus a straightforward question. They asked, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now this was a great question and I believe those disciples of John were sincere when they asked that question we know in the Bible there are many times when the Pharisees asked Jesus questions they were trying to trick him but I don't think this was the case you see back then people were doing a lot of things because of tradition they did it because that is what they were told to do it was just as simple as that and and for John's disciples they probably did not really understand why they were fasting to begin with. They just did what they were told. And as they continued to do so, they never bothered to find out why. And that is until they saw this group of people doing something completely different. What is interesting is that 2,000 years later, we can still find a parallel today. There are many Christians today who do what they are told or they simply follow what other people are doing. But deep down, they might have no idea why they do the things that they do. Why do we go to church? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we tithe? Why do people get baptized? Why do we take communion? Why do we go on missions? Yes, all those things are good and all those things are what Christians should do. However, Without truly understand the purpose and the meaning behind those actions. They're simply things that we do outwardly, but not the reflection of our inner faith. So after receiving this question from John John's disciples, Jesus being Jesus, he used illustrations and rhetorical questions to point those disciples towards the truth. Jesus said to them in verse fifteen, Can the wedding guest mourn a as long as the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Here we see Jesus cut straight to the heart of this issue. You see, the act of fasting always involves of denying of self, whether it is food, drinks, or something of the flesh. And the purpose is to use this period of time to focus on God, by praying, or by meditating on God's word. Unfortunately, unfortunately, back then the religious leaders used fasting as an opportunity to show others just how godly they were. So when they were fasting, they wanted to make sure that people would notice them. And to complete that, to accomplish that, they must look a certain way. They must act a certain way. They, They must look really sad, maybe really down, or maybe tired, hungry, or thirsty. So when people notice something odd about them, people might ask, Hey, what's wrong? You don't look so good. That becomes an opportunity for them to explain, Oh, it's nothing. I'm just fasting. I'm just being a man of God. See, to them, it was just an outward religious act. And and to be fair, I don't think we can say that they had absolutely no desire to pray to God. But based on what we read in the scripture and how Jesus responded to those Pharisees, it is evident that many of them did not really get what fasting was all about. They were using fasting as attention getters. It is interesting how Jesus used a wedding analogy here. I'm sure most of us have been to weddings before. Wedding is a time of celebration. Wedding is a time when people rejoice and share life together. Wedding is a time when people connect with one another. Typically, we do not see people who are really sad at weddings, unless you have a crush on the person who is getting married. In that case, I feel sorry for you for being there. But other than that, when you think of weddings, it is one of the most joyous and precious moments in life, especially for the bride and the groom. Now, during a wedding, when when the bride and the grooms Uh, are there, they are the center of tension, right? It is their moment. It is all about them. Now, Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? A simple answer is no, because it does not make sense. When you're at a wedding, and you're with the bridegroom, that is when you rejoice with him. There's absolutely no reason to mourn and, and to bring back to the purpose of fasting. Remember, the the purpose of fasting is to deny yourself some necessities in life so that you can focus more on God and to pray and to draw closer to God. Here, Jesus is basically telling the disciples of John, I am the Emmanuel, God with us. I am the bridegroom, and I'm right here right now. And as long as I'm here with you, you should rejoice with me and try to spend time with me. So instead of sitting in the corner praying and looking sorrowful and depressed, Jesus says, You should come and join me and rejoice with me, for I am in your midst. Jesus continues to say, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus tells them, There is nothing wrong with fasting. It is good to fast, and it is great to have a desire to want a better relationship with God. But it is all about the timing of things. Fasting should not be an outward act, but it should be an inner desire. When we fast, there's no need to sound the trumpet and let everyone know. But rather, we, we take that time of solitude to spend before the Lord in prayer, to draw closer to Him. No one needs to know that we're fasting, because we should not do it for show. Sometimes we feel like Christianity is about following laws and carrying out a list of do's and don'ts. But that is actually not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about religion. Christianity is about a relationship. God desires to have a relationship with us. And when we're in the presence of the Holy God, there's ought to be lots of joy and full of celebration. Before Jesus came, The Jews focused so much on the ceremonial and religious rituals. And after years of tradition, uh, after years of performing those outward acts, those just became a way of life. And for those who had been following Jewish laws, that was their comfort zone. They were scared to step out of it. But Jesus said, I come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What Jesus is saying is that, He is the fulfillment of those prophecies from the Old Testament. It is no longer about symbolism or foreshadowing. The Savior has arrived. The Messiah is now here. The focus should be on Him. As we read the Bible today, it is easier for us to see that Jesus is the Messiah. But we must also understand, back in the first century, people had a hard time understanding and adjusting to this idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Because they were literally standing before Jesus while they are trying to process this idea. So when John's disciples asked the question about fasting, Jesus took that opportunity to help them to begin this process of shifting their mindset. Jesus knew for them to fully understand this new idea, they must have an open mind first. That is why Jesus explained in verse 16, as he says, no one puts a piece of unstrung cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tear is made. Back in the first century, the material they used for clothing was mainly wool or linen. Both materials tend to shrink upon washing. If you were to take an unstrung uh, cloth and patch up an old garment, once you put it to the wash, the piece of new cloth would shrink and the tension from shrinking will most likely tear the garment even more. So the point Jesus was making was that it is difficult to mix the new with the old. And to illustrate this point even more, he pressed in with yet another example. He says in verse 17, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Back then, winemaking was very common, and people used animal skin to make containers to hold the wine. Now, we're not talking about containers as something that we use to drink out of. Rather, these are the containers used to put crushed grape juice in for fermentation process. And during this process, as gas is being released, the skin of the container would have to be able to stretch and expand with the pressure received. Unfortunately, with older wineskins, because it had already been stretched and expanded before, it is no longer able to endure the pressure from fermentation. So if you were to put new wine into old wineskins to be fermented, this process will burst the skin and you will end up destroying both the wine and the wine skin. So Jesus says, if you want to preserve both the wine and the wineskin, new wine must be put into fresh wineskin. Here Jesus is trying to illustrate a point regarding a fresh mindset. As Jesus came to fulfill the law and to become the sacrifice on the cross, he ushered in a new set of teachings, whether it is the call for repentance or the concept of salvation through faith or the teaching of saving by grace alone and not by works. Jesus knew all these new concepts and teachings would be too radical for people to receive. And it was simply impossible for them to understand any of it through the old mindset built upon years of traditions and religious rituals. Just like how fasting must be understood through a new mindset, Jesus is calling his followers to look at things from a new set of lenses. Sometimes when we view God using our past experiences or years of tradition, we're likely to put God in a box because we tend to rationalize with what we know. But God is so much bigger than that. And instead of trying to constrain God of of what he can do or cannot do, what we really need to do is to think outside the box ourselves. When God is on the move, we need to be willing to move with him and to have our mind renewed and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Like we said earlier, our God is a God who is constantly doing new things. I know 2020 has been a challenging year for all of us. And as we try to imagine what life will be like post COVID, we must pray to God for a fresh mindset. Yes, learning in school is gonna be different. Yes, our working environment is going to be different. Yes, the way we travel, it's going to be very different. Dining out is going to be different. And most of all, the way we do church will never be the same. And with the new chapter awaits us, the question becomes, are we ready to move with God? There are three truths that we can take away from this passage. And these are three reminders that can help us to better prepare ourselves as we experience the newness of God in our lives the first truth we need to remember is this. God's presence leads to joy. God's presence leads to joy. As Jesus said, can the waiting guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The answer is no. As believers living today's day and age, we are extremely blessed because the moment we give our life to the Lord, we welcome Him into our hearts. That means the Lord is always with us. Just like how Jesus was in the midst of the disciples. The Spirit of the Lord is in our midst at this very moment no matter where you are. And when we are in the presence of the bridegroom, we should rejoice and be glad. Even though time might be tough for some of us right now. But the fact that we still have a breath to worship Him. The fact that we can still pray to Him. And the fact that we can still read the Word of God whenever we want. We should rejoice and celebrate this freedom and celebrate this privilege. You know, serving in ministry is supposed to be joyful. We're serving in the presence of the Almighty God. Have you ever thought about that? Unfortunately, too often we forget that God is with us. Somehow we think that God left all the hard work to be done by, uh, by us, by ourselves. And so we grumble and we allow Satan to come and rob us our joy of serving in ministry. Let us be reminded once again, when we're serving, we're not serving alone. When we serve, we're actually co-working with God. Sometimes we have this misconception that we are the one who are doing all the work. But in reality, it is always the Holy Spirit that is working through us. With that being said, Serving in ministry is an honor and a privilege so I pray that the joy of the Lord will give you strength and for anyone who's tired and exhausted from serving in ministry especially during this difficult time may the Lord renew your spirit and rekindle that passion that you have for God's kingdom may we learn to rejoice whether we're worshiping in person or over the internet whether we're gathering with other believers Or perhaps we're spending a long time with God at home. Let us remember that God's presence leads to joy. Now, there's a second truth that we need to remember. And that is, God's power leads to transformation. God's power leads to transformation. When Jesus talked about new wine being put in the new wineskin, one of the most important keys, Is for the wineskin to expand with the pressure released by the wine. When Jesus used that illustration, I'm sure most people that were listening back then got it right away because winemaking was something they could relate to. For us, maybe not so much. So here's another illustration for us to consider. I don't know if you have made balloon animals before. I love making balloon animals. It is fun. It is something that we always do when we we know that there are gonna be kids in the mission field. And one thing I have learned over the years is to always bring fresh balloons when we go on mission trips. One time we tried to save money by using some leftover balloons from years ago, and it was a total disaster because those old balloons would be popping left and right. Even though outwardly they look just as new and just as fresh, but as soon as you start pumping air into those balloons, you realize the older the balloons are, uh, the the easier they will break. You know, they're simply not flexible enough to endure the stretching with the pressure of the air. The Bible says we're like vessels used by God, meaning we're like containers ready to be filled by God's Spirit. And when God fills us, when He is revealing new ideas to us, we must learn to, to expand and be flexible. We must learn to have open mind. I know it, it is difficult for us to change our mindset sometimes because we're so accustomed to certain ways of thinking and way of doing things. But we need to remember, when God is at work, it is all about Him and it is not about us. Sort of like when you're surfing, you must follow the waves. You do not get to dictate where you want to go. You go wherever the waves take you. Same thing with snowboarding. I remember the first thing that I had to learn about snowboarding was how to carve. Basically, you learn to go down the slope according to the way the slope is shaped. I have never seen anyone who tries to change the waves or change the slope. Instead, we learn to follow the waves and to follow the slope. We do the best that we can, and we enjoy the ride. I think the same principle can be applied to our lives. When God is working in our lives or in our church, we need to learn to follow his leads. We need to remember that he is in control. He is the head of the church. We need to learn to be flexible and to go in the same direction that he is leading and to move with him. When God introduces uh, new, new ideas, new things into our lives or maybe into our ministry, our mind needs to be expanded with this new idea. You might get uncomfortable at first, It might be challenging to our comfort, but once we submit under God's authority and allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind, we will then begin to see the results of God's mighty work. God's power leads to transformation. And there's a third truth to remember, and that is, God's providence leads to fullness. God's providence leads to fullness. As I was reading through this passage, I noticed that in this passage, Jesus never once said that the old wine is no good anymore. Jesus did not say we need to get rid of all the old wines and only new wines is allowed. On the contrary, as we know in life, the older the wine, the better it is. So we know the problem is not about the wine, but it is more about the container. Here we see the wine represents God's truth which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the wineskin represents our mindset, which should be flexible and transformable. Throughout different generations, God has been working and doing things in different ways. It could be the way to invite people to church. It could be the format of the service. It could be the style of music. It could be the method of evangelism. No matter what the outside wrapping might look like, God's truth within us does not change. God is good, God is faithful, and His love endures forever. During the last few months, we all have been stretched. It is hard to believe that within a matter of months, almost almost every church in America is now online. If you go on Facebook or YouTube on any given Sunday, you can find multiple worship services to join. Instead of going into a church to hear a message, now we bring the word of God into people's home. Yes, this might be something that we're not used to, but guess what? The gospel is being, being preached, being shared faster than ever. Instead of trying to hold on to what we're accustomed to, we should embrace this great opportunity to utilize technology, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends, And our loved ones. I've also heard from many churches that they are experiencing growth in their online services, growth in their online small groups, and even growth in in their online prayer meetings. Just because we're not able to meet physically in a large group setting, it does not mean that we cannot connect with one another and continue to develop deep meaningful relationships. Despite of this pandemic, God is at work, and He is working in a new way. And as long as we're willing to be flexible and to follow His lead, we will experience His abundant blessings, not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. So, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the post-COVID era, a new chapter awaits us. It is time for us to come before the Lord, to be like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, to be near Him, and to enjoy His presence. Let us quiet our hearts and to surrender ourselves before Him. Let us put aside all the knowledge, logics, and methodologies that we're used to. Let us learn to be flexible and to ask the Holy Spirit to grant us the new mindset so that we can co-work with God's new way of doing things. Remember, our God cannot be contained in a box. He's the way maker miracle worker, promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. So let us live with joy. Let us serve with flexibility and let us experience his fullness every day of our life. Would you join me in a prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we worship you and we thank you. Thank you for being a great God and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family. For you to allow us to be a part of your kingdom in your ministry. Lord, we admit that a lot of times we're stubborn. A lot of times we like to depend on our own strength and depend on our experiences. But Lord, we recognize today that you are a God of newness. Lord, your mercies are new every morning and you're constantly on the move and doing new things. So Lord, we pray that you will transform us and renew our mind. Give us fresh wineskin so that we can be ready to be filled by the new way of doing things. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. May you continue to use us as your servant, as your vessel. We thank you and we praise you. We pray everything in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and an amen.